they're making Ghostbusters with only women. What's going on? Shut up and sit down. We will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on Earth. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Read my lips. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Ah! I love the poorly educated. We're the smartest people. We're the most loyal people. did not work out like I wanted it to. But it's an emergency impeachment episode. Oh no! What's that one? I don't know what any of these do. It hurts my ears. It did a little. It's a little. Ah, what's this one? So it's a police scanner. Right, my soundboard thing didn't work out too well. I didn't have time to prep for this. Hi guys. <laughs> We're just going to cut that off right now. Hi, it's Barstool Politics. I'm your host, Nick McGuire, joined as always by Dr. Bill Muck from North Central College and Dr. Phil Barker from Keene State College. Hi, guys. Let's all panic for the next hour, shall we? This is an emergency. Like, it's you an know, emergency. Yeah, We're yeah. here to talk about it and panic. And- we dropped everything. We, we taped a day early just to give the listeners <laughs> an instant reaction. Yeah. Apologies to all the people who like had their eardrums just blasted out by that siren. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Zencaster will take care of yeah. it. Who knows? Um, before we get started, all the usual fun stuff. If uh, you guys uh, want to find out when we're going to play loud sound effects again in future episodes, uh, follow us on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P O L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Uh, and the podcast, uh, find that on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms, uh, SoundCloud. I always forget SoundCloud. We're hosted there. Um, so review us, share us, like us through there. Um, in case it wasn't blatantly obvious what we're going to be talking about uh, for this episode, most of this episode, lots of juicy developments in terms of Ukraine and Trump and impeachment and uh, Rudy Giuliani just not looking so hot. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're, we're kind of we're getting rid of the regular format for this one breaking down as much as we can because a lot happened over the past 24 hours we wanted to make sure we uh we we covered that uh, as thoroughly as possible and then maybe some other juicy things after that once we get tired and exhausted and panic stricken um bill do you want to give us a rundown let's just start with yeah so we're obviously we're going to start with the political scandal involving trump joe biden ukrainian president uh Volodymyr, Volodymyr, uh, Zelensky. I struggle with that one. According to numerous news outlets, Trump pressured Zelensky to investigate Joe Biden's son, Hunter Biden, who served on the board of the Ukrainian energy company. According to the Wall Street Journal, Trump asked Zelensky eight times to investigate Hunter Biden. This all began when a whistleblower working in U.S. intelligence filed a formal complaint in August after having seen or heard something that raised urgent concern. Complaints of this nature are usually reported to Congress within seven days. Joseph McGuire, the acting director of national intelligence, refused to do so, arguing that the conversation is covered by executive privilege. Trump has denied that anything wrong occurred, describing the phone call with the Ukrainian president as a perfect phone call. 
according to Trump, the real villains are Joe Biden and the so-called whistleblower. Trump tweeted, these people are stone cold crooked. I love that. His use of capitalization is phenomenal. Yes. By the way, too. And inconsistent. Um, <laughs> yet both Trump and his trusted sidekick, Rudy Giuliani, have done everything but admitted that they that are guilty. Uh, so we're going to start with the basics. And then after our beer uh, break transition to talking about impeachment and how the Democrats are handling the situation. Big news today. So, Phil, this one is a blockbuster. You've been you've been giddy all day to dive into this. So 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 where do you want to start? How should we structure all this? Uh, so, well, first of all, you, I was just thinking as you read, as you went through that, that you said that Trump and Giuliani have done everything but admit they're guilty, that they basically <laughs> yes, admitted they were guilty, true, right? They, they came out and talked yes, about yes. it. Yeah. All right. So I, I don't normally like come up with an outline and think about like, how to go through this, but there is so much stuff to talk about here. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I, you know, we were talking before we came on, I feel like we need to talk about what happened, the background, this, you know, the, the phone call with Ukraine, what was going on there. Um, we should probably talk, I don't know, a little bit about the Biden accusations. Um, and then, you know, the whistleblower stuff gets into all sorts of elements of separations of separation of power and, and, um, limits on the presidency. Uh, and, uh, I also, I, I think talking about the, the strategy that Trump is taking it, if you call it a strategy, Rudy coming on, you know, national TV, basically admitting to it, all of these things are things we have to talk about. <laughs> you don't have a choice. We <laughs> must do it. <laughs> so I guess let's, I mean, so we start by talking about the, the, the background, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, yep. which you, you touched on a few of these things, but uh, so, all right. So as I understand it, there's a series of things that happen here, which is that um, Donald Trump, well, first of all, Congress passes, uh, you know, uh, um, sets aside money for aid to Ukraine. So Ukraine is, is, you know, the government of Ukraine is, you know, trying to fend off Russian you know, involvement in their, in their government. Um, and we have allocated, the, the Congress has allocated something like $400 million for aid to Big Ukraine. Big number, yeah. Um, Donald Trump puts a, f a hold on that. So he, he chooses not to release that money depending on over the last two days, the reasons for why he didn't release that money have, have changed three or four times. <laughs> what he said in one, one interview was about, uh, corruption and another, it was about, he wants other countries donating or, or whatever, but regardless, he puts a hold on this money. But that's a but that's an important shift, right? Because it was yesterday he was arguing that the reason he held up the money is because Ukraine is a corrupt country and he didn't want to donate that money or don't give that money unless he knew that it was going to be spent wisely. And then as this story developed, then it became, well, you know, nobody else, NATO and Europe is not donating enough. Right? I mean, so a shift in 24 hours like that is telling that somebody behind the scenes is saying you can't be saying that anymore. Right. It's, it's telling that they're making shit up is what it's telling about, right? <laughs> right, right. Yes. Right. So Try this one. I, the other part, we can come back to that. I mean, I know this is taking a long time to get through this, but we'll come back to this later when we get to the impeachment part. Uh, Mitch McConnell today made a point when someone asked him about impeachment. He, he answered the question about impeachment, but then also made a, 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 went out of his way to make a point that – it was never explained to him why the money was held up, which is, you know, even he's kind of distancing himself from this, which is, which is, I think, telling. Mm -hmm. So Trump puts the money, puts this hold on this money. And then that's when these phone, these, uh, there's a series of allegations. So the whistleblower complaint actually talks about a, uh, a, a number of actions, a pattern of behavior. This phone call of wit is, is just one. Um, but in this one phone call, he's talking to the Ukrainian president and mentions eight times, uh, you should look into Joe, Joe Biden. 
Um, this phone call happened the day of or the day after Mueller testified before. I think it Congress. was the day after. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. He, he didn't learn lessons or maybe he did learn lessons. Maybe he learned his lessons well. Uh, so anyway, he, he he's put a hold on this money. He calls the Ukrainian president and says, you've, you've got to uh, look into into Biden. Um, so that's kind of the that, that's the the thing that has everyone worked up. Right. Because essentially what he's doing is saying this money that was given to you that is set aside for you. I'm not. It wasn't ex- well. We don't know if it was explicitly said. Uh, this money's not going to be freed up unless you look into Joe Biden. That's the implied thing. That's what gets us here, right? The, I mean, so uh, that's that's no big that's, deal, right? No, no, that that's not okay. It's not okay to do that. <laughs> well, Tell us why well, else. It depends okay, on the Bill. context of the call, which we do not know at this point. Well, well, that's right. And I guess we should say before we dive too too much into the weeds that we're we're working on some good reporting right now, but there is more information to come, mm-hmm. and I'm sure this the, the story will become much more nuanced as we get into those details. But from what we know, if the allegations are true, this is an egregious abuse of power, right? The president is using his power and the threat of withholding military funds to target a political, uh, you know, somebody who's challenging him for the presidency. Like this is a, a big, big, big deal. So I, I want to clarify one thing because I, I, yeah. we, you, I think we all try, but I think you really try to kind of make sure you get kind of the all sides to this. Right. Yeah. Um, but the thing that you're saying, if this is true, it's a big deal. Uh, we should go back to what we said at the beginning, which is that Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump have both said this is true, <laughs> right? They both right. said yes. that we, that he, he pushed the president, the Ukrainian president to look into Joe Biden. They don't seem to think that's a big deal, right? So, I mean, that, that's yes. kind of where, what we should talk about. Why is that a big deal? Why is this suddenly yeah. getting so much attention that other things that Trump has done maybe didn't get as much attention? Well, that's right. And, and their argument is that, or at least what Rudy and Trump are putting out there in a rather incoherent way is that they just care about corruption and they, they want states to be less corrupt. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea here is that, of course, we would raise this issue of corruption with Ukraine. There's nothing wrong with that. And I think, Phil, we were talking earlier about that's part of Trump's strategy is to say the quiet thing out loud. And he now he's made it very Trump has, has claimed that there was no quid pro quo. There, it wasn't, you know, you do this and you get the money. Correct. Um, Which doesn't really matter in this no, situation. <laughs> right. But, but but the idea if, if Trump is pushing broadly on corruption, okay. But if you're narrowing specifically into the v- former vice president's son's role, like and, and and we can dive into the Biden issue, but this gets into really really messy territory of of targeting, not necessarily caring broadly about corruption. Right. So realistically, prior you know, once all this started happening, I, I hadn't seen Giuliani's uh, Giuliani's statement, and I, when I looked it up, I, so here's a statement: a president telling a pres elect of a well known corrupt country he better investigate investigate corruption that affects you uh, affects us is doing his job. Good statement, followed by maybe if Obama did that, the Biden family wouldn't have built millions from Ukraine and billions from China being covered up by a corrupt media. You were doing so well. But now remember, so that first tweet came after the CNN interview with Cuomo, where, and again, our listeners have probably seen this, it's all over the place, where he starts by saying, absolutely, the president did not ask me, no, there was no pressure put on, we didn't tell them to look into Joe Biden or Joe Biden's son, and like 20 seconds later, Cuomo asked him again, and he says, of course I told him to look into Joe Biden's son, I mean, it's just, (laughs) damn right I ordered the code red. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) So, so Phil, do you want to, I mean, you were, we were talking beforehand about, 
the allegations, this sort of claim against Biden? Is it worth telling your listeners a little bit about that and the, the allegation? Or do you want to spend more time on? Well, yeah, let's talk a little bit more. about. I mean, I think yeah. I, I wanted to kind of scrape away. I mean, we, you yeah. know, we talk about mm-hmm. partisan politics scrape. and all of this other stuff. Scrape all the, you know, the the different sides away from this. I mean, it seems to me that the, what this boils, uh, the reason this is a problem is that you have a president of the United States using the power of the presidency to benefit himself personally, right? So that, I mean, that's the core aspect of it. I mean, that's where I think the the argument needs to be made about the abuse of power or about corruption in that sense, that all the details, they're important and they will come back in. But I, I think if people get too lost in the details, they miss the core of the story, right? You miss the forest for the trees, which is Again, any president, I, I don't whether it's whether it's Trump or you know Obama or Bush or whoever, if Abe Lincoln right like reached out to to France to try to get them to attack his opponent, but and and used essentially funds right um, the funds that had been allocated to a to a country in order to manipulate the foreign country into doing what was beneficial to him personally. That's the heart of the problem. That's that is why I think this is this is particularly disturbing. I mean, it is in some way the, the Constitution. Right? We'll we'll come back to this with impeachment later. The the things that you can impeach for, people focus on the high crimes and misdemeanor, but um, the other, I mean, the explicitly stated things are treason, which <laughs> Bill Weld. Did you see that he argued that this oh, is treason God. and that Trump should be executed? Not the <laughs> no, best approach, um, but no. anyway. <laughs> So treason, you know, this is not you have to technically treason is, you know, when you're at war with another country, this doesn't reach the the standard of treason. But the second thing, it's treason, bribery or high crimes and misdemeanors. Right. And this is this is that again, this is the idea of using your position of power for personal gain. Um, I, I mean, that, that's what we should be focusing right on. Right. Yeah. And and you're talking about another example of intervening in a presidential election. It's almost as if he didn't learn from Russia's intervention in the 2016 presidential, Nick. I mean, you can't, you you shouldn't be doing this. But this time he's being more open about it. Like the last time there was no real communication between Russia or there was only a little bit of communication. Here he's basically saying, go after this guy. So here's my thing. Like realistically, I'm, I'm of the mindset that the, the statements and the and the timeline and the changing of the story seems exceptionally suspect yeah. at best. Um, the the timing in terms of this occurring immediately after Mueller's testimony seems problematic to say the least. <laughs> and you figure at that point he would have like like calmed down for 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 like two days, like two three days. He was like mad, he was pissed, I, uh, but. It, I, I'm. Uh, and this is the only reason I say it, and I know, like, I'm trying to play devil's advocate with a lot of this stuff. But in terms of what is actually said, compared to what statements have been made in terms of uh, on uh, by Giuliani or Trump, I want to see the transcript of this phone call Absolutely. and see what the actual information is. And realistically, if it's in there, that's fine. I, I know there is some you know, thought that maybe they don't give a, a, a completely truthful or complete record of what that transcript is or what the conversation was, which would not be the first time that that's happened with the U.S. president. But I, I like I don't know what the situation would be or what a good uh, next step would be besides going forward with impeachment proceedings to gain more information about this. That's right. So I like I, I we need more. We're taping on Tuesday. They're supposed to release this. The um the the transcript of the phone call tomorrow on Wednesday. Um, maybe we'll have more information then, and it, this will you know 
we'll have a little bit more clarity. But <laughs> I, like I just the timing, it seems so dumb. And I know they've done plenty of dumb things, but this is so beyond the pale idiotic if this is true. W- won't it be great if they release this tomorrow and the transcripts are like, hello, Mr. President. Hello, Mr. President. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Inaudible. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, I mean, I, so they'll the, keep the, us on schedule. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to jot down stuff that points that I need to make and I can't, it's too much. Um, you know, th- so yes, Trump has, has come out today and said that he would release the transcript of the phone call. Uh, I mean, that's a good step, right? But again, we, we mentioned before we were talking before we came on the air, Nixon re- released transcripts of the, of the tapes of white house conversations as well. And it turned out that they weren't necessarily fully transparent, right? There were parts that were edited out. Um, and so that's where, again, the, the, the credibility gap that exists here with the Trump administration comes into play. It also is where um, I, I, I see the, the argument that Democrats and others are making is that the, the, and we can use this to transition to the whistleblower aspect as well. The argument um, that, that others, not just Democrats, but Republicans are making is that the, the full whistleblower complaint needs to be released because the whistleblower complaint is about more than just this phone call. It addresses a pattern of behavior that happened over a period of time. And so it's possible that on like technicalities, this phone call is, uh, you know, not necessarily, benign. you know, yeah. it, it could be benign um, and that Trump releases it as a way to distract. But the, the, the legal requirement in place is that the whistleblower complaint itself has to be passed on to Congress. Uh, should we talk? Should we turn to the whistleblower? Go ahead. What were we going to say? Let's do that. Yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think in the whistleblower, we, yeah, let's dive in there. The whistleblower brings this to the inspector general, who then is supposed to look into it. And, and we can get into the laws and whatnot, but this these mechanisms are created for individuals to share this information to hold the governments accountable. He brings this information to the inspector general, who looks into Second it. Second hand. Second hand. But but then the inspector general looks into that, right, and finds it both credible and urgent. And I think that's important because this is an individual, the IG, whose job is to look into these things. And he says, we should be looking into this. This is both credible and urgent. That, that, that to me is significant to say we need to see more of what's going on here. Um, the, the, the fact that, I mean, so whistleblower protections are put in place so that if you are a government employee or otherwise, and you witness problematic or illegal behavior, you you have a way to report that behavior. They, I don't think whistleblower protections ever imagined that the president would be the target of the of the whistleblower, right? That they, that no, is the person no. that would be. And so that's part of the the struggle with with how the system is, you know, struggling to 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 deal with this. But just that alone, the fact that someone essentially reported the president for a potentially illegal activity is in and of itself a historic thing. Uh, there's a lot that the president, you know, we we could have this debate about uh, whether the president, you know, it's not it's not that he leaked or he said something that was classified because he has the right to do that. That's not illegal. It might be dumb, it might be problematic for US interests. So there the activity that that is being reported has to be pretty severe for someone to file a whistleblower complaint and then for the inspector general to look into it and to deem it credible and urgent. I think that's when a lot of, so that, I mean, that, this is what, that's what started all of the news coverage of this. I think that's what set a lot of the sirens off for people is that, you know, holy shit, if, if the inspector general has deemed a whistleblower complaint regarding the president, um, I guess that still hasn't necessarily been 
We don't know because we haven't seen the whistleblower right. complaint, but but right. news mm-hmm. reports uh, indicate that it was about the that it's about the president. If that's true, that in and of itself is a is a massive thing, and it's where I, let me kind of set this up and then I'll yeah, throw yeah. it to the two of yeah. you. It's where the the president. I mean, when when this happens, as you said, there is a legal requirement that the whistleblower complaint go to Congress, and that's where. Uh, the I guess the inspector general notified Adam Schiff and others. So Adam Schiff is, Schiff is the chair of the House Intelligence Committee that you should expect this whistleblower complaint. Um, and that's when people within the Trump administration, Department of Justice, uh, is that who I anyway, basically stepped so, in and said, we're yeah. not going to hand it over. So you have a separation of powers issue and a, and a you know, whether we're going to comply with the law or not. So beyond the, um, you know, whether it's OK to use government money to, to get a foreign country to target your, per, your, your opponent, you have this issue of, uh, you know, whether you're actually going to abide by the laws as they laid out, which are problematic. But anyway, talk about that, Sam. Right. No, but this is really, I think this is the, the sort of second really interesting wrinkle of all this, which is, you're right, Phil. Normally, when there is a whistleblower case that goes to the IG, that the IG sees as credible, then he throws it to Congress, or I shouldn't say to all of Congress, to the intelligence communities to be briefed. This is what is going on, right? This is mm-hmm. checks and balance. This is oversight. This doesn't happen because the acting, and I think it's important that we note, this is the <laughs> acting director of national intelligence, recently appointed by uh, Trump, the, and the, the office... The old one left or was fired yes. about the time uh, that all of this was happening, right? <laughs> right. About right. the time of Dan this phone Coates. call. Yes. Dan Coates, who has a long history in Washington, is well-respected, is out. So you have an acting individual. So between the acting DNI and then the Office of Legal Counsel and the office, the OLC is basically like the, the legal mind of the executive branch. They make an argument to say, hey, this is a head of state talking to a head of state. This is the classic example of a conversation that is... Uh, protected by executive privilege. Nobody should have the right to see this. This is a good one because I, I think <laughs> in general, I would find that compelling, right? So mm. if a president is having a conversation <laughs> with another president, there is real reason to say that should be that should be included as privileged communications. Uh, but this is a totally different thing, right? Our, again, is it conduct or is it who's talking? We, we kicked this around a little bit last time, but mm-hmm. this is a really, really interesting and um, important legal legal debate. It's worth also noting that the the original argument, if I remember correctly, the original argument was that the that the Trump administration made was that this is not uh, a credible. They they argued that it wasn't credible. They also argued that it wasn't urgent. And before they finally came around to this whole, it's privileged um, aspect. Yeah. Well, you got to so, try, and you got to keep trying things until one sticks. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, there, there are interesting arguments, right? There have been a number of conservative, smart conservative uh, people. Even um, uh, the Michael McFall, is he the Russian ambassador under Obama? I yeah. think that's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah he yeah. was arguing that that the transcript of the of the conversation shouldn't be released because it Im- impacts, you know, in the future, uh, the willingness of a foreign sure. leader to talk with the president of the United States. There's also mm-hmm. kind of philosophical stuff, which is that the president of the United States in a phone call with a foreign leader should have the ability to lie, right? Like, so the, yeah. if, if it yeah. helps the US in bargaining position, it doesn't, you know, the US president doesn't have an obligation to be honest with foreign leaders. And so, uh, you know, if you're threatening or you're lying about stuff, or you could, you know, you could, you could even sort of imply illegality to, to strengthen your bargaining position. 
So that opens a whole nother can of worms. Now, yeah. this is a little different because there, there is also the aspect of Trump actually did put a hold on the money and then later release it. And so there, there's other stuff that goes into this, but uh, all sorts of really kind of interesting constitutional kind of dilemmas that are caught up in this. And I, I don't I'm, I don't know. It's not it's not a simple thing to sort through. Well, we mm-hmm. talked about was I don't know if it was last week or the week before when we were kicking around the issue of privilege, and we had this really good conversation about whether the nature of the conversation. I think Phil, you talked about that, like a husband and wife relationship, like that should be privilege, right? Or you know, when you're talking to your priest or your rabbi, whatever it is, that that the nature of who those people are should always be privileged. And if we're going to use that mentality or that framework, I think when heads of state talk, you should always say blanket privilege; those should never be released. Mm-hmm. But what if a crime is taking place during those conversations, which could have happened here? Then I think there's real reason for oversight to say that it's not so much the nature of who's talking, but what they are saying. And, and I think, I don't know, I'm, I'm, that's why I'm more inclined to say, have somebody look at what is being said and then evaluate whether it should be privileged or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, uh, on that, I, I, This is where, again, it's worth pointing out that if this whistleblower complaint is turned over, which the Senate voted tonight, I don't remember if we've mentioned this online on air already or not. The Senate voted unanimously tonight, every Republican, every Democrat saying that the whistleblower complaint should be turned over to the intelligence uh, committees in both the Senate and the House. Um, So if I mean, if that is turned over, it's not it's not that this gets released to the public. Right. I mean, this goes to a very select Mm -hmm. group of people who are constitutionally charged with oversight. That is their job. Um, And and they don't you know, it's not that it's not that that conversation between the president and the and the president of Ukraine is, you know, thrown up on YouTube, right? It's, it's, it's a handful of people who get to hear it to make these decisions. And I I think that's absolutely reasonable, right? The the idea that, Hey, a couple of people at least get to sort of make a decision about whether this is appropriate or not. And the privilege aspect, I mean, again, the president has some level of privilege, but you know, you, you were talking about the nature of the conversation versus the relationship. It it seems like Again, most executive privilege, in my understanding, protects conversations within the executive branch. If you're talking to a foreign leader, that's not a a conversation within the executive branch. You're not talking to people who work for you, right? You're, You're representing the United States to a foreign country, and there should be some level of oversight of that. Absolutely, right? I mean, the president can't be above the law. Sure, but I mean, who... In that situation, if we do go down that road and these these conversations do become something that is supposed to be <clears throat> more transparent, who then decides what is privileged and what's not? What's, you know, above the bar and what's below? I, I, yeah. I, I'm curious what what branch of government or what entity would have oversight in that situation and be able to yeah. to pass judgment on what heads of state are saying to each other. Don't we have to go back to the Nixon example of, of the tapes and it goes to the Supreme court and the Supreme court forces Nixon to turn these, these tapes over. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, as much as I hate to throw the judiciary into being, you know, the decider here, I feel like you're, that's, that's the only place it can go because we Congress can't, can't adjudicate this. This No, it's going to have to be something. Mm -hmm. And I think there's, there's good reason for doing that to have the courts weigh in and say, you know, we haven't really done this clearly in the past. We've had some conversations about what is privileged, what isn't. This seems like a really good example. When the president potentially is abusing his power, can they claim privilege? I, I mean, I think this is this is some this is a place for the courts to absolutely intervene mm-hmm. for future examples. 
You know, you you have talked, the two of you talked earlier when we were talking about the, the phone call and how this lined up with the Mueller investigation and how it seems like he should have learned his lesson. Uh, you know, the argument could be made that he did learn his lesson and he learned it well, which was that he got away with essentially all of the Mueller stuff, right? In this conversation with, with Russia, you know, he's basically flouted the idea of he's thrown uh, executive privilege around. He's tried to, and, and he hasn't paid any real price for it. And so the idea that he would then deal with this in the way that he has, which is to, yeah, I'm going to have this conversation um, and I'm just going to claim that it's all executive privilege. It seems like maybe right. he learned his lesson, right? Which is that, that yeah, you can do this. Well, and that's why it's important for the other branches, both Congress and, and the Supreme Court to weigh in and find where that line is. Mm-hmm. Phil, what do you think? So the fact that he, <laughs> Trump so quickly agreed today to release the, the transcripts of the of the phone call. And we don't know what's going to be in there. I mean, it could be a, a rather limited thing, but is, should we take this a sign of anything that, I mean, he's obviously, he knows what was said on that conversation. Right. Bill Barr knows what was said on that conversation, um, that they're willing to release this so easy, so quickly. Is that a sign of, of fear, of strength? What? How do, how do you react to that? Um, I, I'm not a hundred, I don't, I don't know. Uh, exactly how I, I don't know. I I'm still kind of processing that. I, yeah. I mean, my, there's one part of me that thinks, well, this shows the, he, he didn't tweet that out, right. He didn't tweet out that he would, he would turn over the transcripts until after the news broke that Pelosi was going to essentially announce imp- a, a formal impeachment inquiry. So mm-hmm. uh, to, one argument could be that that shows that when when Congress actually does act, it does in some way constrain him, right? He, he it leads him to think, oh, holy shit, I've got to do something about this. Um, the other the other way of thinking about this, and this could lead us to change uh, topics again a little bit, which is, yeah. um, well, also, it could be that that particular uh, that phone call again it depends on how much you could you trust the the transcript that they release but the other part is the the Trump administration's response to all of this and it takes us back to Rudy Giuliani which is essentially to just come out and say yeah we did it um you know this was their reaction after the Mueller and you know with the Mueller stuff with the Russia investigation it's been their reaction to all sorts of stuff you send Rudy Giuliani who is the the president's personal attorney out uh, which one of the report did you send this to me? There was a report this week that basically said that Rudy doesn't actually check with anybody in the White House mm-hmm. when he books his media appearances. He just does it on his own and shows up. Jeez, so, that's terrible. Anyway, when Rudy goes on national TV and basically says, "You damn, you're damn right, we did it. Right, this is the right thing to do." Um, there's, I think there's. I'm, I'm torn about whether or not that is Rudy being incompetent, whether that's Rudy Giuliani being stupid, or whether it's a brilliant strategy. Because when they, when they come out and basically say, yes, we did it, so what? It changes the conversation. And we don't know what to do with someone who basically is open about it. We're used to people who are uh, who who are not shameless, right? Who in, in American political history, when someone is accused of something wrong, the reaction is to deny it, to try to hide it, to try to pretend, try to come up with reasons why, to explain it away. And then when after all of that, you know, it comes out that they in fact did it, then it's very damning. The Trump administration is is shameless, right? When they say you did this, they say, yeah, so what? Of course we did it. And and it feels like the media for two and a half years and the American people um, 
haven't really been sure what to do with that. And so I think, uh, you know, that's, that's been a little bit, that kind of lines up here, right? Maybe the Trump, maybe Trump comes out and says, yeah, here's the phone call. And yeah, I did ask him about to investigate Biden eight times. Uh, but yeah, this is, of course I did it because Biden's corrupt and, and, and it will be a test of how much the media can mm-hmm. sort of actually deal with that. Um, I, it, it could be an intentional strategy. Yeah. I, I, I it's, hmm. It's an interesting point. So how do you how do you handle that question, that situation? Does it become a question of motive then? Because realistically, there there is uh, we haven't really gone over the, the the timeline and the background of, of Biden and his son in, in Ukraine and that whole mess. Um, but if they do, if they do go along that that narrative, uh, that narrative line. How do you necessarily refute what takes precedent over what in that situation? It's either, yes, there is corruption or it was benefiting him from a political standpoint. Yep. But two things can be the same. So I like I don't I don't know what would yeah. override the other, especially when somebody like Trump, who is so willing to embrace arguments that others would be ashamed of doing. Right. I mean, he mm-hmm. will. I, I, we don't know what's going to happen, but I'm guessing he's going to double down on the Biden angle and make these accusations and, and feed the conspiracy theories that that uh, Joe Biden was doing this to protect his son. And there is an audience out there that that is looking for that argument. And and I think to Phil's earlier point, it's hard for us as Americans who are used to politicians being shamed when somebody isn't. And I even I well, maybe there's some truth to that. I mean, the, the whole the whole Biden son thing, there, there really isn't a lot there. There, there probably isn't anything. There. There's nothing there. But, right. right. But when Trump stands up there and says, we need to look into this, I, I find myself, I should go back and read more about this. Like, mm-hmm. there's got to be something because nobody's willing to stand up there and say this over and over and over again if it's absolutely false. And, you know, I think it's a human reaction to believe people. So it's not a bad strategy. It's a sinister strategy. But it, it may be effective. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's. You're right. The norms that have governed us are are shifting in dramatic ways. Yeah, I mean, you're right. So I, I you're I, I have also gone back and looked and read and listened to you know podcasts and all sorts of stuff trying to figure out what is exactly the Biden allegation, and and there aren't. I mean, we can talk a little bit about that. We mentioned it earlier. Essentially, the the kind of I'll, I'll try to do the very brief version. So Joe Biden's son worked for I think an oil company if I'm not if I'm not wrong in Ukraine, mm-hmm. uh, which was run by a Ukrainian oligarch. I, again, I if either of you jump in if I'm if I'm getting the facts wrong. There was a prosecutor in Ukraine who was looking into that oil company into issues, some sort of legal issues. Um, it seems it seems apparent that that prosecutor was himself very corrupt. And there were a lot of people pushing for the removal, try, you know, anti-corruption measures, trying to clean up Ukrainian government. Um, and Joe Biden pushed for the removal of this prosecutor along with, I mean, this was a sort of US push, but it was all sorts of European countries in general, the EU that was pushing for the removal of this prosecutor because he was corrupt. He was in fact, eventually removed. Another prosecutor came in, they followed the investigation. Hunter Biden was cleared of any wrongdoing, but it does, you know, you're right, Bill. It does. There is this thing of, okay, the vice president of the United States is pushing for the removal of someone who's investigating the vice president's son. And it, it's one of those where if you don't look into it, 
my understanding is that every investigation into it has shown no wrongdoing, right? There is nothing there. Um, it, it was a poor decision, you know, maybe on Hunter Biden's part to, to take this job for a Ukrainian oligarch, but there was no, uh, you know, impropriety in the, in the process. But just the, just the, you know, it just kind of hints enough of, you know, that doesn't seem right, that it's an easy Mm -hmm. thing for, for Trump to jump onto. Um, And, and it's been successful in the past. And, and again, the media and other people don't really know how to handle it. Right. So the, the sense of impropriety about, you know, Hillary Clinton's emails or whatever, um, you know, it, it leads to this feeding frenzy in the media and, Mm -hmm. and there doesn't seem to be any proportionality. It's not that it's not a story. It's about, you know, how big is that story compared to, in this case, how big is the Hunter Biden story in comparison to the story about the president of the United States pushing a foreign leader to investigate dangling American funds in return and refusing to cooperate with the Senate and the house when they want to investigate. But if the, you're absolutely right. And if the president is every day tweeting and talking about this, and one thing about Trump that he's, he's good at is he will stay on message. So for the next 30 days, this is all he will be mentioning. And the media feels forced to then respond to that. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think this Trump wants to muddy the waters. Trump wants to make everybody look dirty. And that is what he's going to do. And we will see whether it will be effective. I, I think to circle back to an earlier point that some of the Republicans are shying away. We have not heard much from Republicans today means that maybe we finally hit that tipping point. But we'll see. I don't know. I doubt that. Don't think so. No, I yeah. don't think so. <clears throat> Go ahead, Bill. I think this this I mean this could be a, a good point to sort of transition to beers and and, and impeachment. But I, I do think yeah. that you know the comparison between this and the Russia Mueller stuff. I I think the reason why this might stick more, why I think it will stick, um, is that I, there's a couple of distinctions, right? The Russia in, involvement in a, in the election. Um, was, as the Mueller point, report pointed out, was it instigated by Russia. Trump and his campaign welcomed it, right? But they didn't reach out to Russia and say, hey, we want you to intervene. Also, Donald Trump was not president at the time. He was a candidate for president. So there's all sorts of problems and impropriety involved there. But in this case, this is a, a, a cleaner more encapsulated issue, right? Mm-hmm. It's the president mm-hmm. of the United States using presidential power to reach out. He's the one initiating, reaching out to a foreign country, asking them to intervene. The fact that it's kind of happened in a fairly short time, the story is more easily told. I, I, I just think this one's going to stick in ways that that previous um, uh, uh, scandals haven't necessarily, yeah. or, mm-hmm. or that it's the straw that breaks the camel's back, I guess. Yeah. I mean, Pelosi pretty much made that exact point a few hours ago. This is a, a more self-contained story that the American people can kind of grasp onto, which is a weirdly overt political statement to make. It is, it um, is. I agree. But um, no, I, I think as much as the the kind of overarching thing that we've talked about, or at least that I've talked about uh, ad nauseum in terms of these scandals is that the the narrative that is presented uh, or that the administration presents and that the media feeds off of is extremely nuanced and it 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 changes on a dime or or it turns on a dime in terms of the the Hunter Biden thing in Ukraine and all that there are a significant amount of Republicans and Trump support not even <clears throat> Trump supporters but Republicans in general who think that there is massive corruption in terms of obviously in Ukraine, but in terms of uh, involvement with other American politicians. Realistically, Biden himself had said that, yeah, we wanted him, uh, uh, this this prosecutor in Ukraine, 
uh, removed. And we told them that we would withhold American funding from them. And we did that until he was removed. So the subtext of that in a lot of situations or in a lot of people's minds was this isn't tremendously different from what Trump has done. So depending on what I'd hate to say what channel you're talking or you're you're uh, listening to. um, But what what your political alignment is, it's very, very easy to kind of tip that balance in in the direction that is more appropriate to your political leanings. And I feel like that's everything with Mm -hmm. what with every scandal that we've talked about there. There's as much as this is a big thing and it has a potential to really grow into something massive. It could just as easily go the same way as every other scandal where, you know, the 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 data is kind of muddied. We don't necessarily have a clear answer on anything. People have their political leanings and we kind of go our separate ways until the next one. Um, It'll it'll be the next couple of days will be very, very interesting. And I think the Mueller report is a really good example of that, where one can read the Mueller report and say, like, this is absolutely damning. But as a country, we said, "Eh, we're divided. Let's just pretend it didn't happen and move on. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, we've teed up impeachment, so we got to talk beers and then jump back into impeachment. Yes. Phil, were you even able to enjoy your beer? No, I wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm drinking uh, a beer from Foundation Brewing Company, which is a a brewery in Maine. Um, And this is their it's called Afterglow. Uh, It's their American IPA. You have an Afterglow today. I know. I know. Uh, it's their American IPA. It is, um, you know, it's, it's very good. I, to be honest, like you, you, you properly predicted, I've been so excited to talk about this stuff that I haven't been, I haven't been thinking about the beer, but it's hoppy. It's citrusy. It's good. Yeah. If somebody handed me another one right now, I would gladly drink it. (laughs) <laughs> that's good all right nick what are we having we are having a it's a 51k correct yeah. am i reading that right yeah, you from are. uh black rocks which is uh from marquette michigan um and it's uh yeah it's an ipa um i like this one this a lot really i have not heard of these guys before um yeah it was fairly kind of standard ipa but it had a, a nice crispness crispness yeah. to it um not overly hoppy um, not a tremendous amount of bite to it. Right. Um, very kind of very smooth, just in, just the right amount of head on it. Too. You, know, you can tell a good IPA when you pour it into the glass. And I, I, before we even started, it was just that that aroma. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this is going to be a good IPA. And absolutely, mm-hmm. it was it was rock solid. Good yes. beer. Well done, Marquette, Michigan. All right. Before we delve back into this fucking dumpster fire. Yeah. Um, yeah if you guys have uh, uh, or want to check out the beers that we have on the podcast, uh, find us on Untapped uh, on iOS or Android. Just look for Barstool Politics uh, and you will find all of our beer reviews on there. All right. Let's okay, talk impeachment. News that the president of the United States may have pressured a foreign government into conducting an investigation of Joe Biden and his son, uh, Hunter, has once again raised questions of impeachment. Calls for impeachment were widespread among Democrats. The number is rising, rising. And even Mitt Romney suggested that if true, we should do some real thinking about maybe doing something. Um, <laughs> so, <clears throat> yet Nancy Pelosi, the one Democrat who matters most, for a long time continued to slow play impeachment talk until. Until this afternoon where she came out, held the press conference and said it is time to move towards impeachment hearing. So let's dive into the impeachment question, Phil. Uh, this late, latest incident feels almost as if Trump is trying to get impeached. Uh, what's your read on whether this rises to the level, how the Democrats are reacting? You just you grab one and, and run because I know you're excited. Yeah. <laughs> 
So again, like, like I had a list of things we have to talk about on the last one. I have yeah. a list of things we have to talk about here as well, Good. which in, include Nancy Pelosi's strategy. I think we should talk about, uh, I, you know, I was um, up until today uh, feeling like Nancy Pelosi was playing this all wrong, that that she has done. She's very good at lots of things. Um, and it just felt like this was not her moment. She was mishandling that. And and I, I might be coming around to the idea that I might might be wrong on that. Um, and so I think we should talk about her approach and her and her strategy. But we also, I think, need to talk about, you know, what does this mean? So the, the House has announced an impeachment inquiry, a formal impeachment inquiry. But what, you know, what's different about that? What does that mean? You know, what's the timeline? What's going to happen? So we can kind of speculate on, on all of that. And, and you've even, you have sort of hinted, Nick, at this idea that, you know, should we believe that this is in fact in any way different from other scandals when people have gotten worked up? This is not the first time that, you know, Bill and I have texted each other and said, oh, this is it. Right. And so, you know, why is this? I'm going to post those transcripts. Right, right. <laughs> um, and then I think uh, we can talk about sort of the likelihood of where this is going and the and the repo- role of Republicans and, and whatnot. Where do you where should we start? What do you think? So let's we start with Pelosi, because I think that we can start there and then it, it makes a a natural transition to whether what they're doing will really matter and how much is it different from what they were doing before. So let's start, start with, I want to hear more about your assessment of whether, I mean, we've been, a, you have been a particular critic of Pelosi and not, yeah. not driving this issue. So do you think this, this is a good move too late? Um, no, I think it's a good move. I, so I, I, so here's my, here's my critique of Pelosi. I was getting really frustrated with Nancy Pelosi. Even yesterday I was texting you about how yeah. like it's shameful that the Democrats aren't doing anything. Um, and, and my, my approach or my critique of that was that I, I think that, uh, Nancy, Pel- I, there were a couple of critiques, one of which was that I think Nancy Pelosi was, um, uh, paying too much attention to the pulse, the public pulse, right? That she was she was being sort of cynically political about it. That essentially, until there was support, public support for impeachment, she wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I just thought that was the wrong way to go about it because I think. That so there was a on on Twitter today. Um, Nate Silver was pointing out that Trump's disapproval is at like fifty six percent. So fifty six percent of Americans don't approve of the job he's doing, but something like only 30, 30 some odd percent support impeachment. And and Nate Silver was concluding that that is why Nancy Pelosi's not moving forward. There's just not public support for it. And I and I think that's just backwards. That the reason there's not support for impeachment is that the Democrats haven't made that argument yet. And so if Nancy Pelosi he sits around waiting for the public to magically support impeachment. It's at some point you have to take a stand and say, even even if it's not politically the the sound you know the smartest thing, it might hurt you at the polls. At some point, your job when you're elected to the House of Representatives is to play some constitutional role, and that involves oversight. And one of the things that means is that if you think the president is violating his constitutional constitutional duties, you need to act. And so I I was I was at the point where I I felt like again, Nancy Pelosi when when she when the Democrats took the House. There was there were people who were pushing for a change in leadership, um, and and she has a long history of being really effective at getting legislation done. She's she's really good at that, and it just felt like this moment wasn't fitting her need. So that that was kind of the critique. That's right, and and I'll tell you in a second why I've maybe changed my mind on that. But I, I'm kind of curious what you think about that or what your approach is. 
Yeah, I, I my my frustration is that there were op- multiple opportunities for Democrats and particularly Pelosi to drive the narrative. And throughout the Mueller investigation, Democrats kept throwing it to to Mueller himself to say, you need to be the one who makes the case, who who you know argues for Trump's impeachment. It always felt to me that that the Democrats were passing on what their real opportunity was. And I, I think that was fair here, too. I wonder whether what's going on behind the scenes, because mm-hmm. she's not stupid, right? I mean, she she's thinking about numbers no. and calculating. No, I, I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I think she really does think about where where things are at. But I think, Phil, you've made this point beforehand with Nixon. The public wasn't on board with impeachment when impeachment hearings began. They Those were what drove the narrative. So I, I think it's time. I think this incident as, as Nick, as you pointed out, it's a really clean little example where you can talk about potentially. Yeah, right. Exactly. Potentially. And, and I, I would hope that they have a bit more about what's going on there, because if they don't, if this if the phone call, yes. if the IG report, all of it comes back benign, boy, this is a second thing that's blown up in their face. Mm-hmm. But assuming they've done their homework, this is a really clean one that gives them a second chance. It's a second chance that you know, they shouldn't have had to fall into. But yeah, I I think Nancy has a chance to redeem herself. That's a long winded to say, I, I sort of agree that this is the chance that they had to seize. And mm-hmm. it still took her a couple days. It's uh, this is this is make it or break it for them yes. at this point. Um, I, I think they got lucky with this. Frankly, I, I think if this hadn't shown up, we would be having the same conversation. Pelosi, you know, either missed her chance or just didn't know how to play this. Um, and, you know, we would be going into the 2020 election, you know, what we were talking about two weeks ago and which, which nothing would have changed. What she said, she said there shouldn't be impeachment. It should be the election that decides this. Correct. So this is a big shift for her. Yes. So realistically, yeah, to, to your point. Um, yeah, there's, there are two things that, that are, that are happening here. Either they know a significant amount more than we know right now. And they have enough information to move forward with impeachment inquiries to where this is going to be a salient argument that makes sense to the American public that is simple enough to understand um, and vindicates them on all of all of what they've been talking about, or they've seized on a moment that they don't necessarily know anything about. And this is another situation where the the waters are muddied. We're, we're not going to have a clear answer on anything. And this is going to be immensely detrimental yeah. to their their uh, election possibility uh, in 2020. Uh, I, and I, I really I have I have no idea what it is at this point, because I could just as easily see them trying to make this into something as they're being, you know, extremely clear, um, uh, irrefutable information. Uh, regarding the the transcript and the phone call. Two things that play in their favor, and this is something you sent me today, Phil, is one, uh, there's a potential crime here, right? That's a that's a big deal. But the other thing is, even if there isn't the crime there, the cover-up is also bad, right? I mean, so their their refusal to release this. So they're they've got two angles to hit on the 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 illegal behavior, potential legal behavior, and the fact that they're covering up. So that that allows Democrats to hammer at Trump for for a handful of days. So let me make it the argument. (laughs) So yeah, I mean, here's my, uh, you know, the, uh, I had a conversation with, with Bill Bendix. I've mentioned him before. He's a, a a professor at Keene state that does uh, American politics. And he pointed out this Jonathan Bernstein article. Um, so Jonathan Bernstein writes for, uh, Bloomberg. He's a political scientist, but he, um, he wrote an article, I think today about the role of impeachment and about Pelosi. And, and he, it was an argument that really kind of made me come around to Pelosi's approach 
in some ways, which essentially was he, he compares it to to Nixon and to what happened with Water, Watergate. And so Tip O'Neill was the Speaker of the House. It was apparent that crimes were happening, that there were impeachable offenses for a long time before Tip O'Neill finally moved forward with impeachment. And the idea that Tip O'Neill had essentially was that uh, that um, if Nixon has done this other stuff, he's going to do more, right? That, that essentially we can sort of sit back and bide our time and build a really compelling case for impeachment before we move forward. Um, and so there's part of me that thinks, well, maybe that, you know, uh, that uh, there's a chance that Nancy Pelosi is actually brilliant, right? That she's set back. And if you had gone towards impeachment a year ago, there would have been, you know, the the idea of a critical mass of people who were willing to move forward on it. Um, I don't know that you were there, and so by kind of slow playing this, you've gotten to the point now. I mean, today what happened was you saw moderate Democrats, Democrats who are from sort of Republican leaning districts, who have been slow to go towards a p- impeachment, suddenly come out in in numbers and basically say we've got to do it at this point. And at this point, it's like I, there, I think we'll be able to look, history will tell, you know, years from now, we'll look back and we'll know, is it that for the last two years, House Democrats have been building a compelling case for impeachment. They're not going into this. They didn't just today decide, hey, uh, maybe we should move forward on this. They've got articles of impeachment drafted, right? They've got a game plan in place. And so if that's the case, if it was like waiting for enough, you know, to where the sort of dam breaks for them to move forward now, um, it could end up being that it was brilliant on her part. Having said that, I, I think some of her rhetoric about how she was opposed to impeachment sort of at all, I think was was dangerous and damaging. But I think the idea of holding off of if she had been basically, I'm not convinced yet, I'm not there yet. I, th- I think that, uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see. I, I don't think that... Um, uh, yeah, I, I I do think there's been a lot going on behind the scenes that we're just not we're not privy to, and I think when things start coming out, it's it's going to be, you know, it could be a disaster, or it could be that they have a very clear game plan going forward, and if that's the case, then it might be that Pelosi was actually brilliant in this. The news reporting today has been that all of a sudden so many Democrats are shifting and, and the numbers have gone up. The number of Democrats who are going to support impeachment, I don't know, it was at 170 or something yeah. as we're taping today. And that's a dramatic increase. But I think Phil's point is is right. It wasn't as if with this new revelation, suddenly these Democrats go say, oh, my goodness, we have to move. Right. I mean, it's, it's political calculations. They're thinking about are they safe running in their district if they move in this direction? Who else is going to move? I mean, none of these individuals make this decision in isolation. They're talking to each other. There was an article was in the New York Times where uh, seven Democrats came out and said, this is why we believe that we should move toward impeachment. That that creates safety for others to move. And, and so you wonder whether you've reached this critical tipping point where all the Democrats jump in. Now, it's also going to be really important that Republicans jump in. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, it doesn't have to be a lot of them, you know, it, but if you get five or, or whatever it is, if you get a handful of them, that changes the narrative in a way that is really, really bad news for Trump. Mm-hmm. I don't well, necessarily agree. Yeah. Think- I, I'm sorry, Phil. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go. What were you going to say? Why don't you agree? No, I, 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 as, as much as I, I think that there is a, a significant amount of, of uh, uh, political strategy and machinations behind the scenes yeah. that we are, are not privy to, um, 
we spent two years of investigations and inquiries and, and testimony that realistically, and we talked about it on this podcast. This is the thing. This is the thing that's going to push them over the edge every fucking time. And all of a sudden we had, we have all of this stuff and it, you know, it was kind of quiet for a moment. And then this comes out of nowhere and everybody jumps on the bandwagon to me, as much as they may have this stuff drafted up and I'm sure they had it drafted up on inauguration day, this was, I, I think that this was a, again, this, this is luck. This is luck for them. Nobody knew necessarily that this was coming. It was a good bet, but you're right. Yes. You, you were hoping something else yes. came. I, yes. I, Season I, 10, I something think, illegal was going to happen. Right. I think, yeah, I think they were going, yeah. All right. Something else is coming. And here, here's, here's the, the, you know, the, the draft of the uh, impeachment, uh, um, inquiry or or whatever which Um, doesn't really save them from their inability to to make that call for the first time with with Mueller and whatnot right yeah but even then like we talked about in the first half of of uh the this episode we don't necessarily know all of the information yet and as much as I want to think that they have all their ducks in a row and there is information there that they're all aware of and they know that if they are all aware of something that says something else that all of them are aware of something that they probably shouldn't be aware of at this point. On top of that, it just it to immediately come out and say that we're moving forward with impeachment without having all the information on the table is it's I think it's it's a, a it's bad political calculus. I, I, and, and again, we'll see in the next couple of days. But I think at this particular point, it's it's not it's not a positive move. Well, this so might be a good transition. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Well, one of the arguments, and I, I sent you this earlier today, Bill, there, there was one argument that I saw today that I thought was, um, uh, that, that essentially argued that the political calculus comes in really, it lines up really well for the Democrats here, because essentially their argument is, I mean, you can make the argument that essentially Trump is violating uh, he's violating the laws that require him to handle hand over this whistleblower complaint, right? And that is something mm-hmm. that they do know. He's refusing to do it, and so um, he he is basically backed into a corner. And in that he either if he doesn't hand it over, then the the Democrats have an argument that he's refusing to comply with the laws, and so that is in in itself an impeachable offense. If he does hand it over, then he has to provide all of this information, which is potentially damning for him. And so uh, he's not going to want to hand over the whistleblower complaint because it's probably damning for him. And so he has to come up with some way to explain why he's not willing to cooperate with the laws. And so it's sort of one of those either way it goes, unless Trump is actually, you know, totally blameless and that this was a totally normal uh, argument, uh, conversation that he had with the Ukrainian president, in which case it's unlikely that the Inspector General that he appointed would have found it credible and urgent. It, it's just one of those mm-hmm. where kind of no matter how Trump plays it, there's an argument that the Democrats can make. Either he's refusing to comply with the laws that require him to do this, or if he does comply, then there are all the issues of regarding the abuse of power in, in terms of foreign policy. So um, sure. it, 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 oh, I'm it not saying be. it doesn't look good. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, I'm no, I just, I, it, that's not something that I would have thought of. I saw that today and it was just sort of an interesting thinking about the political calculus that this actually might line up in a way that's really good for the Democrats moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a good transition because I think your second topic was what does this all mean? And I think that's, yeah. that's something I'm torn on here because the, what Nancy Pelosi said today was that we are going to move ahead with the impeachment. What was her inquiry. phrase? Was it a formal inquiry? Impeachment inquiry. 
the so and and all that means is that they're going to continue to do the investigations that they were doing. Now they're calling it a formal impeachment inquiry, but they're she's not create she could have created a separate committee to say we are going to do this. We're going to have public hearings. All investigations continue as normal. So Phil. It, to me, this was a little disappointing to say, like, okay, we're we're starting an impeachment inquiry by doing everything that we were doing right now. Is there a real difference here? I mean, should should somebody who is looking for forward to this type of investigation feel like there's been a dramatic change today? Um, so I, I think yes. I, I, so I don't mm-hmm. know that it's necessarily clear exactly how the Democrats are going to move forward because there was some talk that they would form a select committee that would move forward on this. And and Pelosi didn't say that that was happening, but she didn't say that it wasn't happening mm-hmm. either, though. So I mean, I think it's very possible that over the next couple of days, we're going to hear about where this is going. I, I also think because of Nancy Pelosi's uh, um, reluctance to get on board with impeachment that actually gives her a little credibility here, right? She's been mm-hmm. so opposed. I don't want to do it. I'm opposed. And so now, well, this is so overwhelming that we're going to have to move forward. I, I don't want to get a, a ahead of things because I, I think what will happen is that there will be an actual inquiry. They're going to look into these allegations and other issues. There's going to be an investigation. It's, it's a sort of like a grand jury, right? I mean, they're trying to decide if, that's what an that's what impeachment is, right? They're trying to decide if charges should be brought against the the president. I can't help but feel like they wouldn't actually launch a quote unquote formal impeachment inquiry unless they thought that there was likely to you know that articles of impeachment were likely to come from it. Now, that's different than saying that it's a foregone conclusion. I don't think that what's happening is they've decided we're going to impeach him regardless. I think this is, again, where you have two years of investigations. And, you know, again, all the stuff that's been happening with Mueller and bringing, you know, Lewandowski, other people that have been brought before Congress to testify. I think it's it's that they feel safe at this point moving forward with an impeachment inquiry because they feel safe that it will actually move towards um, impeachment. So I, I think it is an important tipping point. I think it will, it is open in that the investigation, the, the, the testimony that's going to happen moving forward, the, um, the, the, the questioning, the, the, you know, whatever the, the, that is happening in the house is happening with the goal or moving towards this question of should Trump be impeached, which they haven't talked about it that way in the past. And so I, I do think that's a significant difference. And I have seen, you know, legal scholars talking about that, that the Congress has or the, it's just the House has been thwarted in some of their their document requests and some of their interview requests. But then when you move into impeachment hearings, that gives you a tremendous amount of power, especially in the courts. So, right. you know, if you're just doing a random investigation, the courts may say, well, no. But when you're talking about an, an impeachment hearing of the president, suddenly the, the courts become much more potentially could become more deferential mm-hmm. to those requests and allow the Democrats to get access to the documents that they've been denied. And that that could open up a whole nother area of investigations and, and data and all of that. Mm-hmm. The, the the Nixon example, I looked at the timeline of the Watergate investigation this afternoon. And from the from the actual Watergate break-in to the beginning of impeachment hearings was more than a year and a half. I mean, it was a long time of stuff going on. So people who feel like this has been happening for a long time, you know, there's been all sorts of stuff in, in you know, whether it's Mueller report or all sorts of other issues, scandals within the Trump administration. Um, it was, a you know, over a year and a half from the Watergate break-in 
to the beginning of, of impeachment hearings. And then it was, I think, two and a half, three months from the beginning of hearings to impeachment. Um, and so I, it's, I, I think, again, it's where there's a lot happening. There, there, were, there was stuff occurring before the beginning of those impeachment inquiries, right? There are all sorts of House and Senate hearings that went into that. The, the calling it an official impeachment inquiry is, is the signaling of a, a new stage of, of the process, I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, that reminds me that that podcast slow burn, if, if, you know, people should always listen to our podcast first, but, <laughs> but slow burn looked at the Nixon and the, the impeachment hearings and it's fantastic. And you, really you, you remember how slow it was and how even in, during the process, it did, it was not inevitable that it was going to play out the way it did early on. It looked like nothing was going to happen. There was it, the, the Democrats weren't going to be successful until certain information came forward. So this is likely to be a very, very slow, slow process. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a way to frame the sort of, I think, where we can go next, which is with, with Nixon. But at the beginning of the of the impeachment process or the hearings, there was not Republican support for impeachment. They were, they were solidly behind Nixon. It was through the hearings and the testimony and as more and more information comes out that that became an untenable stance for uh, Republicans. And, and again, at some point, it is it, it is a legal question, but it's also a political question. And that if you're a Republican, can you like how long can you stand by this president? Um, and with with Nixon, as that process went on, it got to the point where Republican senators essentially went to Nixon and said, it's time to go. Um, and so, I mean, that, that kind of brings us around to what happens now. Right. This this impeachment inquiry has been launched. Um, I, maybe listeners know this, maybe they don't, but the way the process works is that the House will consider articles of impeachment. If they vote on them, then the president is impeached, right? This is Bill Clinton was impeached. Richard Nixon was impeached. Andrew Johnson, right? Those are the only three. Um, if that occurs, that takes 50% of the Senate of the House. It then goes to the Senate where there is a trial. And if the Senate convicts him with a two thirds majority, then he's removed from office. That's a long pro, right? We're talking, I, I don't think it's as long as people might imagine, but we're talking months um, before that would happen. Um, so it seems to me that the first part of that seems likely, right? The Senate, the House is going to have hearings. Uh, more information is going to come out. It's not going to get less damning for Trump, I don't think, as more information comes out. So I think the fact that they've moved forward, I, I think you're likely to see articles of impeachment voted on and approved by the House. So you're likely to see Trump impeached. The question becomes, at that point, it goes to the Senate. And would, would the Senate actually convict? And you have to have two thirds of the Senate, which at this point is seems unlikely. It's a big number. Right? Mm-hmm. That's a big number. But but I mean, what do you what do you think about that? You, you go first. No, go ahead. Please. Okay. Well, I mean, I, I think it's going to be difficult if it goes to a vote in the Senate. That's a that's a tough thing mm-hmm. to have happen. That being said, I think right now Trump has a tremendous power over the Republican Party. We've talked on multiple episodes about the way in which he shifted the party. But that can quickly change. And and I don't think – my guess is that the House – you're right, Phil. I think the House will impeach. It moves to the Senate. Before a hearing, there would only be a hearing if Republicans felt like they were going to protect him. But it wouldn't take many key Republicans, Mitch McConnell and a handful of others to say, hey, you don't want this to play out. This is going to be bad for you. Resign. So I, I think the odds of Trump resigning skyrocketed today. Uh, really? I, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. I don't think it goes to the Senate. I'm just guessing, but um, 
yeah, all this stuff happens behind the scenes. So if yeah, that 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 would be my my. But Nick, you've got a better pulse on the Republican, <laughs> you know, mindset here. I mean, what do you? I don't do, like do, your implication. No, no. That. I mean, do do you think that the Republicans would will, will jump ship? I mean, I, they're frustrated <sighs> with him at times, but that's different than saying we're willing to move on. Here's the thing: we can talk about you know DC politics and how all of that plays out in terms of the wider view of republicanism and conservatism, conservatism, whatever the fucking term is, um, there is still a significant amount of support from average Americans, average Republicans, average conservatives that they, the Republicans don't necessarily want to give up on. And realistically, if there is this firestorm that's coming and they give up on this ability to maintain power for at least a little while longer, I, I, I don't think that's that's a, a good in their minds. That's a, a good political move for them. There's still enough groundswell support uh, from the Republican Party that would want to keep him in office outside of this inquiry and what this particular situation is. Um, I, I think that whatever inquest or trial comes from this, we're going to hear a lot of the same information that we did over the past few years, because if there's a significant information that we are not aware of that hasn't been made public at this point, we're going to ask why you didn't bring this forward to begin right, with. Right. Um, and, and I don't necessarily think that's going to change the uh, the political leanings of a lot of Republicans who don't necessarily support Trump, but know that the economy is doing well and the situation that they're fine, that they find themselves in right now is not it's not bad and it, it's still preferable over the potential of having a, 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 a democratic alternative. Well, what about this? So I, I, I don't disagree necessarily disagree with that. I know but, you shouldn't, but an impeachment here is going to beat up Trump. It's, it's not going to be better. The more information that comes out about Trump, it's, it's not going to help him. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're thinking about, let's say the, the Democrats go in the direction of a, a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, they don't go Biden, and that, that could happen, right? We're seeing some shifts in that direction. If it's, if it's Bernie or it's Elizabeth Warren, and you have the option of Trump going against them, beaten up, or Mike Pence, yeah. right? I mean, would that be, if you're a Republican, is that a more appealing candidate to say, let's let's, let's cut ties with Trump and let Pence run on the ticket? No way. Really? No, Trump is an, or not Trump, uh, uh, Pence is an empty suit. He, oh. he, he is not... He is not the charismatic leader that you want for okay. the Republican Party. I, I, I still think on his worst day, Trump, in terms of people who who voted him into office, who like the way that he operates, not as they like the way that he operates, yeah. but the way that he presents himself and, and, and operates, that is, you know, outside of the mainstream, outside of the uh, the, the beltway, um, regardless of what you think of him personally, there is an appeal of yeah. what he has done and how he has operated. And Pence is, he he's like, he's the Ned Flanders of Republicans. Like he, he's just, he's, he's not the guy that you, that you want. And I, I think that I think that's really, important, right? Yeah. I yeah. think that kind of, you know, that's a gut punch to um, Republican prospects when it comes to the 2020 election. I, I'm not necessarily sure that Pence has not necessarily the stamina, but the, the charisma and ability to, 
to personally overtake sure. a, a Democratic challenge. Because I think that will factor in the minds of Republicans. I think, I think yeah. you're right. I was thinking the same thing. If you're Mitch McConnell, at some point, do you, you get to where you think that Trump is toxic enough that the cha- if, if it doesn't even, I think at some point, if you think that Trump's not going to win, then a gamble on Pence might even make sense. And, and Pence mm-hmm. has, like, you're right, he, he does not have the charisma of Trump. But he has the association with Trump, which gets Trump supporters on board. But he also is not Trump, which gets Republicans who don't like Trump maybe back on board. And so there, there is a. I, I, I totally agree with you that, like personality-wise, he's he's. It would be far better for the Republicans if you had a, someone more charismatic and dynamic. But um, yeah. Okay. Another another angle to this: if you're in the Senate and you're up for re-election, or you're Mitch McConnell and you're thinking about this, who he actually is up for re-election. Um, you could lose the Senate if Trump – so let's say Trump is bloodied and beaten up by this impeachment hearing and you think you're not only going to lose the presidency, you're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're not going to get the House back and you might lose the Senate. At that point, do you say like enough, you got to go yeah. because you're, you're going to lose all yeah. three institutions? The, 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 the number that I had seen that actually Bill Bendix mentioned to me um, today, but I've seen it in, in other places as well, is that if public support for impeachment – hits 65%, then it, it doesn't make sense for Republicans to stand by Trump anymore. That at some point that's, it's just, it's, you cut your losses and, and that's what happened with Nixon, right? It's not that, it's not that I, I think at some point it was the public, the, the change in public sentiment was enough that standing by him no longer made sense. And, and so I think that's the, that's the thing that Democrats, if they want to go forward with this, that's the argument they have to make, right? You're not trying to convince Republican senators. You're trying to convince enough of the public to get on board with this, that they, that that puts pressure on Republican senators. And I, I like you I would, like you said earlier, Bill, I, I don't see this getting to the point of a conviction in the Senate, but I do see it getting to the point where a, enough Republican leaders and senators pull Trump aside and say, basically take your chance, you know, take your out, resign, work some deal where you avoid prosecution or whatever. Yes. Um, because if you move forward with this, we're not standing by you anymore. And, and right. I, who knows, maybe, you know, Nixon was smart enough to sort of take that out. I don't, no, you know, Trump, Trump I'm not be. sure <laughs> yes, if he would yeah. be. Yeah. Although he wants to avoid jail, right? And, and and that's the the idea. If he steps down, he could work out a deal with Pence where Pence would pardon him. If he sticks around, there's no guarantee of that. I mean, it, I'm, I'm even thinking like there, there's an advantage for Trump to leave office and Pence pardon him. If he stays through and loses the election and a Democrat wins, he mm-hmm. doesn't get that. There's no pardon, right? That's That could be really, really ugly for him. That's true. Yes. <laughs> that, yeah. yeah. Then he has prosecutions in New York and oh, half a dozen other states. So there, many, oh. that, I, there have been, I, you know, but while we're kind of on the subject and I, I, there, there have been interesting, the Republican response has been interesting, I think. The Republicans haven't come out and condemned Trump and said, this is awful. Um, uh, but they haven't defended him either, which is a, an interesting and I think important shift. And I, I thought about top Repu- You mentioned Romney. So Romney basically came out and said he should hand over the, the, uh, the information. And Romney even said, if he doesn't hand over the whistleblower complaints, that is grounds for impeachment. Right. Didn't he even say that? I feel like he, he did. It, it, it- in a Romney way, right? I mean, he wouldn't, you know, he doesn't say it specifically, but like, I'm going to be mad. Kind so of thing. I, yeah. It's, yeah, it's enough that I think if it gets to the Senate, I could see Romney voting yes to convict. Um, that's obviously far short of the 60, uh, 66 votes needed to convict. But, you know, um, Marco Rubio. So Marco Rubio, we were talking about before we came on the air, Marco Rubio was asked about this and his response was something like, 
things can be wrong, but not grounds for impeachment. So you can do something wrong, but not impeachable. It's not necessarily impeachable and that impeachment is thrown around so much that it doesn't mean anything. And people have sort of attacked him for, you know, not actually taking a stand. But the thing that I take from that statement is that he is saying that what Trump has done is wrong. It's not necessarily impeachable, but it's wrong. And that is... um, for Marco Rubio, that's a shift, right? Um, right. Uh, Mitch McConnell, right? So Mitch McConnell was asked about it today, and he he said something about how it's too early to talk about how that would proceed, how impeachment articles would proceed. But he also was quick to point out that he wasn't told uh, why the the money to Ukraine was was held up. So he knew it was held up, but he wasn't told why. Um, the, the fact that Mitch McConnell is starting to basically say, I wasn't involved in this, right? Like, you know, this is this is Pompeo, this is Rudy, this is, you know, Trump, whoever, but I didn't know what was going on. That's indicative to me. I mean, that's that that is by no means a, you know, a groundswell of of Republican opposition, but it's enough to sort of indicate to me that Republicans recognize that this is maybe different. If we think about it, I'm thinking, as you were talking, Phil, I was thinking of Machiavelli, right, who has this question of, is it better to be feared, loved, or hated? Yes. And I'm thinking about the the Republicans. Do they do they fear Trump or do they love Trump? And I think the, the voters, the base, love Trump. It's a genuine affection for him. Mm-hmm. Republicans in, in Congress, I think they fear Trump. I don't think they love him. So they could very quickly turn on him. Uh, I think there are a lot of Republicans in Congress who, you know, he's, he's not good for the reelection strategy. But they're afraid of him. I, I think they could very, very quickly turn on him. This, this is this could get ugly quickly if the Republicans shift. It's going to be a yeah. really interesting few months. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I, I mean, you know, you guys have, have talked about it. They're going to support him until they can't anymore, yeah. uh, until the last minute that they they can't, until there's blood in the water. He's battered and bruised, and he is no longer advantageous for to, them to them exactly. to them right yes. it's not about no. what's best for yeah no yeah it, it's it, it's it they're they're very good at what you were talking about phil they're you know we don't have the information that we need right now and they are very good at waiting to see what the outcome of this is if there is enough information to think that this is going to change the the political dynamic yeah they will immediately turn on him like a pack of jackals that's what they do i I mean there's and there's no reason to do that until there is enough information to think that this will dramatically shift the balance of power in the opposite direction so i i i I, god i wish we we were either taping on wednesday or thursday to to figure out what the Mm -hmm. hell was going to happen but um it's 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 going to be really, really interesting. But I think they will stick with him as long as is humanly possible. But the fact that they didn't come out and support him wholeheartedly today is a sign that they're testing the waters. Right. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. it's never there. There's I'm sorry, Phil, just real, real quick. There yeah. there's there, there are a, a, a handful that, you know, full throatedly support him on just about anything that he does. Most of the Republicans, generally speaking, kind of go along with what he does. He's the alpha of the pack yeah, and right. that's just what you do. But again, as soon as that 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 climate shifts, that that will change very very rapidly. And, and you know, it's it is a party that is very very, you know, we make fun of Democrats and and how they fuck up elections and whatnot. The Republicans are extremely good at figuring out what the long-term strategies of these things are. And I I I think that we're just at the beginning stage of what could potentially be a very big shift, but it's going to depend on what comes out of these inquiries. 
Yeah, Lindsey so Graham may be the litmus test. <laughs> later this week, the the acting uh, DNI is is supposed to testify, right? And whether mm-hmm. he actually shows up or not will be an interesting outcome. Uh, one of the stories that broke this afternoon is that the whistleblower has reached out to Congress, and they have agreed to hear him in a closed session. That's one of the things the law allows for is that the whistleblower can actually reach out directly to Congress. So even if the whistleblower report isn't handed over, that's going to happen at some point. I, it's it's going to be really, you know, the next few weeks are going to be really the next few days are going to be really interesting. And I think, you know, today's kind of an interesting lesson in, in that how, how quickly things turn today. I mean, it felt like this was a big story. It, it seemed like late last week when this started coming out, it was going to be a big story. But the speed with which essentially the dam broke and the like the move for impeachment happened, it ha- it felt like it happened in a matter of hours this morning. And, I, and that is not necessarily predictable, but when it happens, it happens quickly. And I think if it were to ever this thing that we're talking about with the Republican Party, if they ever gave up on him, it would be similar. It's not going to be predictable. But when it happens, it will happen. If it happens, it will happen really quickly. It'll be suddenly and, you know, it'll 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 all swing quickly. Fun fact, the whistleblower, Christine Blasey Ford. Oh, really? <laughs> so that I, changes everything. My my hope is that the whistleblower turns out to be John Bolton. That will be the fantastic I've ending to the story. I've of this, that he's scorned. <laughs> God, that would be oh, hilarious. This is we got to wrap up. We got to wrap up. All right, this was fun. Yes. Oh, my God. That was a lot. We'll, yeah. we'll get to the other fun stories We'll next save that week. one. That's a good one. Yeah. Oh, my God. Um. Well, um. If you guys want to uh, keep up to date with what's going to happen in the next few days, um, I'm sure we will be on top of it every step of the way. Uh, follow us uh, on Twitter at Barstool Paul, P-O-L, Facebook at Barstool Politics. Uh, beers that we try, you can find on Untapped on iOS or Android. Uh, just look for Barstool Politics on there. And the podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, most major podcasting platforms. Um, we always appreciate support on there. Review us, share us, like us, whatever the hell you want to do. Um, anything else, guys? Oh, it's just good. Very good. Tune in, tune in next week for another Phil's campaign quarter. Elizabeth Warren's going <laughs> to yes. be on campus. We'll be able yes. to talk about oh, that. Yeah. And I think next week we have Tom Cavanaugh, too. Is that next week? Yeah. Yay. Yeah. So we'll do some legal stuff, too. So it'll be awesome. great. We will see you guys next week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.